high sitting on your throne. God, we pray that you would come and you would speak to us through your word that we know is alive and active. Speak to us through your gospel, God. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Good morning. Hey, it's good to be here. Uh, I'd add my word uh, of welcome. I, I do want to say, just make one note. I know we already had the missions moment, but just really grateful. Really grateful for a church that supports um, what God's doing overseas and really grateful for a church that supports uh, our student ministry the next generation to, to let that team of 16 go uh, to Belize the spring break. Um, demanded a lot of resources and this church provides them. And uh, just for, from my heart to your, just thank you. Just thank you. If you've got a student, um, no greater student ministry in the city. I'm probably a little biased, but um, just an awesome spot. And so just really thank you. Really, really appreciative for that. It was an incredible opportunity and really did see the Lord uh, move. So we're grateful for that. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, hey, uh, I hope you had, I hope you all had a good spring break, no matter uh, where you were. I've really been praying this week that the Lord would just refresh us over the spring break, that he would make us lie down in green pastures, that he would uh, carry us beside quiet waters, that he would uh, feed us and refresh our soul. And so I hope no matter what you were doing, I hope that's what you received. I was praying that that's what you'd received. And I hope you're here ready and hungry to hear from God's word because I believe that the Lord has something for us this morning. We've been this, uh, over the last few weeks, we've been in our Sunday morning Lent services. Jamie has uh, coined this series, the person and the preaching of Christ, the person and preaching of Christ. And he's put together, if you will, this, this little phrase, this little thread that we've sort of seen running throughout the last three weeks. We'll see in the next two weeks as well. And it goes uh, something like this. It says, it doesn't matter who he is or what he did if he does not rise from the grave. It doesn't matter who he is or what he said, rather, if he does not rise from the grave. So if you're a note taker, that's, uh, that's the same thread that we've been following for the last few weeks. We follow it this week as well. Um, we have covered to this point the person of Christ. And Jamie and Ronnie have done a great job doing that. And today we, we sort of transition, we sort of move into the preaching of Christ. Okay, so that's what he, what he says, if you will, okay? So we're gonna be in Gospel of Mark. The Gospel according to Mark, if you have your Bible, Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one, we're gonna read verses 14 and 15 together. Just two, two verses this morning. If you wouldn't mind, and if you're able, won't you stand to your feet in honor of the reading of God's word. This is the word of the Lord. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of God for the people of God and all God's people said, praise be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Let's pray. Well, Father, um, uh, just as I prayed in the first service, Lord, uh, you know what a preacher feels when he stands in a pulpit when he approaches a text like this. And so Lord, I just ask that you be with us. God, I ask that you lead us in your spirit. God, we pray alongside what believers from old have prayed, Lord. Uh, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. What we are not, make us. We pray. I'll be so very careful to give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, 
Mark's gospel is known for moving rather quickly. It must have been intentional on his part. In fact, if you were to just read the the entire chapter, chapter one, what you would see is that he loves this word immediately. In fact, he's gonna use it close to a dozen times just in the first chapter. He'll continue to keep that pace in many ways throughout his gospel. But when you come to the book of Mark, you see this, this sense of urgency in him. He's, he's trying to move things along. There's this sort of fast-paced movement. And I think what Mark is trying to get us to key in on, to get us to understand is that things are happening here. Like Jesus is here and there's things that are happening. In fact, if you really read some of uh, these early verses, you'd, you could certainly accuse him of omitting a number of uh, important facts. Facts that you see, for example, just in the two verses uh, above our passage for today in the temptation of Christ. You know, he omits that. Whereas other gospel writers give a lot of detail and a long and lengthy presentation of that. But, but Mark, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get us to understand that, that the Son of God is here. In fact, if you were to just lift up your eyes uh, on the page there, all the way up to the very first verse of that chapter, what Mark does when he introduces the, the gospel is he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He wants us to know that Jesus is the Son of God, that the King is here. That Jesus has come, the Messiah is here, that he is, he is walking on the earth. And so he sort of starts out with this really fast-paced energy where there's a couple things that are happening. First, he's going to be baptized. Then he's going to be uh, ushered into the wilderness for his temptation. And then he's going to start his preaching. You see these three things and they come at you really, really quickly. And I think what Mark is trying to do is get us to understand a little bit of who Jesus is about the person of Christ. And of course, because we've been preaching through this series, you've, you've got a pretty good idea of that. That's what Mark's trying to accomplish. He's trying to move us. And so he'll show us things. He'll show us things like uh, in the baptism, which he really sort of sees as, as the coronation. And there's the father and he's testifying about his son. He's saying, you are my beloved son and in you I am well Pleased, And so you see this, this coronation, this inauguration of everything that's happening. He's saying, hey, listen, I, I vest authority into this man, this Jesus. He is the son of God. When uh, we were in Belize, they have, this, they have this little ice cream shop that uh, we can frequent. And on one of the days there, we were, we were there and there was a couple there from England. And I was just over there talking to him, trying to weave my way into a, a, a gospel conversation. And they just kept bringing up the coronation of King Charles here, I, I guess in a, a couple of weeks. And they just kept going back. I mean, it was like, oozing out of them. They're so excited about it. And, and I was like, all right. I mean, I'm kind of more of a red, white, and blue guy myself, but that's cool. Like, you know, um, but, but, but they're getting after it and uh, it's just oozing out of them. There's a day off and the bank shut down. They're so excited about it. And I think that that might be a, a little bit of a picture of what, what Mark is picturing here, or trying to give us that, that Christ is on the scene. He's beloved and he has this authority authority vested in him. And so you see that in his baptism and you see that out in the wilderness when he's uh, in temptation and he's conquering the temptations of Satan. And then you'll see that in his preaching, which is the text that we have today, that, that Jesus is a man of authority, that he has the authority of the Father. And so we come to Mark uh, chapter one, verse 14, and that's the world 
that we're operating in. That's the environment that, that Matthew has created for us. And this is what it says. It says, now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee. And so again, what's, what's happening here is that um, John the Baptist has challenged the marriage of uh, Herod, the Tetrarch. He's challenged it. He's, he's married his uh, sister-in-law, and uh, he's, uh, John the Baptist has spoken out about that. And Herod was, I think, a little bit of, uh, of um, a coward, but his wife was not. And so his wife goes, and, he, and she arranges to have him arrested and to have him executed. And so what we see right here at the beginning of our text is this, is, this plan is unfolding. And John has been taken into custody, which might ask, make you ask the question, well, you know, why? Why, why, did Jesus, or why did John need to be taken into the custody in order for Jesus to come onto the scene? And I think uh, maybe to, to, to answer that question, we need to understand a little bit about how God has communicated and related to his people. Uh, in the Old Testament with uh, Israel, he has primarily communicated to them through prophets. And that John the Baptist serves in many ways as, as sort of a, the last prophet, okay, in this, in this uh, time. He's sort of the, the finale of the prophets. And so as John the Baptist is arrested and he's taken away, he steps out of the spotlight and then Jesus is stepping into that spotlight to start his public ministry. I think what's being communicated here is that it is time for God to communicate with his people, not through a prophet, but through his beloved son. And so right there at the beginning, he said, hey, listen, he's moved out and Jesus, enter Jesus, and he's poised to carry the gospel. And it says right there in the text that Jesus came into Galilee. Now, what, he's, what is he doing in Galilee. What's he doing? Well, we'll look at your Bible. What's it say? It says that Jesus is preaching the word of God. I want to just stop right there. This, uh, this is so important. You know, Jesus is a whole lot of things. Jesus wears a whole lot of hats. Is Jesus a healer? Yes. Is Jesus a carpenter? Of course. The great physician? Certainly. Miracle worker? Absolutely. A preacher? Yes. And so right here from the very outset, what we see is Jesus comes, what? Preaching. He comes as a herald. He comes as a preacher to herald the good news of the love of God for his people. And that's what we're met with. And I think from the, outside, from the outset of this text, I think it's really important for us to, to understand that brings a lot of clarity to us. You, you know, I, Again, I, I think in this world, we're, we're tempted to sort of make Jesus who we need him to be, right? To, to, to put the hat on that we need him to wear, to make him a proponent of this or that because it, it suits our purposes. But as we come to this text, what we see right from the very beginning, right at the outset, is that Jesus is a preacher. He's a herald. of the, He's come for, for that point. And we might be tempted to make Jesus and, and kind of put him in our pockets and carry him around such that, that he can serve us. But first and foremost, Jesus comes and he identifies himself. He comes preaching the gospel of God. He is a preacher, a herald of the good news. Doesn't that tell you something about the heart of Christ? Doesn't that tell you something about the, the heart of God that he's, he's sent by his father? concerned 
for the lost, burdened with, with this message to, to preach the gospel of God. And so Jesus enters into the world, Harvest, and he enters what? Preaching, why? Well, that's the easiest question ever because it's a dark world. It's a dark world. Listen, the world that Jesus enters there into Galilee is as dark as our world is today. It was something like 80 years ago when C.S. Lewis penned uh, these words that would eventually be turned into the, the screw tape letters. And if you've never read the screw tape letters, there's, it's this idea of a, a sort of a retiring senior devil training up a, a, a younger rookie devil. And the young junior devil says, you know, just to be clear, remind me, what's the plan? And, and the retiring sort of senior experienced devil says, you know, the plan is to put so much noise in the world that the people can no longer hear their God. To put so much noise in the world. He wrote that 80 years ago. It's almost prophetic. All the noise that's around us. And so Jesus comes preaching. He comes preaching. He comes shouting above all the noise, a gospel of God. He comes silencing all the noise and all the darkness in our world. And he brings the gospel of God. We need a preacher harvest and we have one. And his name is Jesus. And so he comes onto the scene and he preaches what? He preaches the gospel of God, a gospel, a good news message that pierces that darkness, that pierces that evil and all of that noise. And that's why Jesus comes on to scene. He comes to proclaim that. It's so important for us to know that, that, that we should be doing the same. Uh, that if you face the same temptations that I face, that, that there's this, this temptation to sort of, you know, take Jesus and to take the gospel and to take the faith and sort of just try to carve out a little corner of, of the scope of religion for us. That's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to preach, to herald the good news that there is one way that there should be no carving out a corner for this, that the gospel is the God. There's only one set, it's one truth. And it comes from Jesus, the preacher. We don't need to water it down and we don't need to try to carve out or to, uh, to sort of apologize our, for our place in this world, that we're to advance that gospel of God. So not what it says, it, it's a gospel of God. It belongs to God, it is of him. And so Jesus comes into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, verse 15, and saying, stop right there. In other words, he's saying, he's pre to preach, you're, you're saying, he's saying something, All right? Again, just such an important idea here to, to, to preach the gospel, to herald the good news, the truth. We, we've got to open our mouths and we have to speak that. We have to share, we have to say it. Jesus didn't come silently, he didn't come just to be an example. He came to herald. He came to preach. He came to open his mouth and to say good news. And so, yes, in Isaiah 50, is, is he, does he come, is he silent before his accusers? Certainly, but he came to preach. He came with measured words. Remember, that's how Jamie's got this set up. It's the person of Christ. It's the preaching of Christ, the person, who he was. The man, the example, what he says, 
the preaching, the gospel of God, the good news message. And he comes and they're met together in the person of Christ. When these students go to Belize, they don't just need to go and be an example for a week. They need to go, and as Charlie Conley just testified, they need to open up their mouth. They need to pray for boldness and open up to say, to speak the words of the gospel of God. That's what Jesus comes to do. What's his message? What's his message? Let's keep going. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And so listen, Jesus, like a good preacher, is going to give his audience a sort of context. He's going, before I get to the content of my message, I want, I want to give you a little bit of the context of what's happening. What's the context? Well, here it is. He says, listen, the time is fulfilled. Okay, is that not what preachers do? They, they want to give you a context. They want to give you a world or an environment with which the gospel should be placed. And so he comes doing that. Right? When I began this message, I, I didn't just begin right at verse 14. I backed you up a little bit. I talked to you about the beloved son of God. I, I talked to you about uh, the, the baptism of Christ. I wanted to give you a runway. That's what Jesus is doing. He's trying to build this runway in the minds of his listeners. He said, hey, listen, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's now, it's right now. And so he's starting to establish that. That just as his authority has been established, he's opening up his mouth and he's saying that the time is fulfilled. That, hey, listen, the drama of history, the drama of redemptive history as it has been played out in God's word since Genesis chapter three, listen, the time's at hand. Listen, the time is fulfilled. He's speaking that out. He's saying, think about all of redemptive history. Think about all that you've heard and all that you've expected. It's now, the time is fulfilled. That just as Adam stepped into, uh, stepped into creation and he sinned, so Jesus, the second Adam, is going to step into a creation that's been marred by that sin and he's gonna do something about it. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And there's this radical nowness of the gospel. And I think I made that word up, but it's, it's like, it's now. Like it's now. And so he comes and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. What's the kingdom of God? Um, it's God's rule. Okay, so simply put, the kingdom of God, it is, it is God's rule. There's a famous writer, uh, author that says, it's God's people in God's place under God's rule. It's God's people in God's place under God's rule. I think that's Vaughn Roberts. That's what the kingdom of God is. And so uh, let me just clarify this. Uh, if you're anything like me, maybe you, you read kingdom of God and you read kingdom of heaven and, and, and you're, a little, you're a little confused. Like, like what, what are those? Are they different? Are they the same? Hey, listen, they're the same. Okay, it's just this, it's the same idea. And I know that for two reasons. One, I spent way too much time, energy, and money in a seminary classroom, okay? And they taught me that the reason Matthew many times uses that phrase, that kingdom of heaven, it's because that the Jewish people did not like to say the name of God. And so instead of saying the kingdom of God, they just replaced it with heaven. So they say the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so that's one reason I know that. There's a second reason I know that. Because I listened to our pastor. And on January 15th, the last sermon our pastor preached, he got up at the very beginning, he, he challenged us to go and to download a, a Bible plan, a Bible reading plan. And I, I heeded his advice and I went and downloaded that. And just a week ago, that Bible reading plan had me in Matthew chapter 19. And here are the words that I heard. Truly, I say to you, 
It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it's easier for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. You see it, he uses both terms interchangeably. So it's the same thing. And so Jesus comes on to saying, he says, hey, listen, the kingdom of God is at hand. Reduce all of that down, simplify all of that down. All Jesus is saying is saying, hey, listen, all of those lanes, all of those threads that are out there that you've been following, you can trace through the Old Testament. They find their end in Jesus. That's where they find their end. They find their end in him. And so the kingdom of God comes and first it comes in the person of Jesus and in the preaching of the gospel of God. And Jesus wants to convey that to us. And for all of us, we're confronted with that truth that the kingdom of God is at hand. And we're confronted, as we've heard over the last three weeks, with with the person of Christ. What will happen now? What's gonna happen now that they've been confronted with that? Well, it's Lent. It's a Lent season. We've been building in this anticipation. We know about Good Friday. We know about Easter. So we know they're not gonna receive it very well, are they? They're not gonna receive this, this, this message very well. And so again, they're hearing this idea. You gotta put yourselves in their mind. They're hearing this idea that that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. And they've been thinking about this and and what they're thinking, what they're expecting is for Jesus to roll in, overthrow the Roman empire, establish the Davidic kingdom and and send forth all the blessing that they are, uh, that they deserve. And that's not what's gonna happen, which is one of the reasons they're going to kill him because he didn't do or say what they expected. What's he say? Look at it. Look at the Bible. What's it say in the next words? Repent and believe in the gospel. So he works up to this big crescendo and he says, the time's at hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. And instead of doing what he thinks, he says, repent and believe in the gospel. He gives twin commands. That's what I'm referring to these today. Twin commands. He commences his ministry right here with two leading commands for us. It is the sum and the substance of his preaching. It is the alpha and the omega of his teaching ministry. Repent, repent and believe in the gospel. So first you see this word repent, that's a command. It's a command for us. He comes to command you to repent, but he doesn't just merely come to command you. No, he, he comes and he reasons with you. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. He comes to command you. He comes to reason with you. He comes to persuade you. He comes to invite you. He comes to beseech you and entreat you. But he comes, make no mistake, to command it. He comes to command repentance. And if we're to preach it today, the way Christ preached it then, then we must proclaim it, a command of God. Friends and family, the command is repent. That's what Jesus is pushing forth. And you might find yourself just like me, trying to lighten the weight of that command, trying to water down the weight of that command. Because that word repent, that's got some, that got some ugly feelings to it and some rough undertones. And you might be feeling that temptation. I feel it keenly right now. 
to water it down, to make it easier on you. Why? Well, because I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Last week, my, uh, I was getting ready. I was, I was packing for Belize. My wife walks in the door uh, of our bedroom and she goes, that boy, referring to one of our children, I'm not gonna tell you who, that boy never thinks he's wrong. And you know what my first thought was? Just like his papa. I'm a sinner, right? The command is repent. The command for us is to repent. And the temptation might be for us to water it down, to make it a little less strict, to make it a little less firm, to make it a little more palatable and, and uh, acceptable, to soften it, to take off the edges. But this is a command. And we must be careful to depreciate the words of God. He comes to command us. Why? Why is the Lord commanded repentance? Well, there's probably the uh, tangential reason, which is to clear up any confusion that that's what you're supposed to do because we live in such a dark and distorted world. So he comes and he says, hey, I command you to repent. Just to be clear, that's what you're supposed to do. That's how you're supposed to live. But there's a much more solemn reason. There's a much more solid reason why he comes and urges you, commands you to repent and believe in the gospel of God. And that is so that one day on the day of judgment, you will be without excuse. We will be without excuse because we have heard of the person and the preaching of Christ. And he calls you, repent, turn from sin, turn to your Savior, to repent is to have, it's have a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. It doesn't mean just to feel sorry. Certainly sorrow is in repentance. It's part of repentance, but it's not equal to repentance. I can, for, I can feel sorry for something I did to my wife and then do it again three weeks later. That's not repentance. He's calling us to repentance, to a change of mind, to submit ourselves under his kingly rule such that all of our hopes, all of our dreams, all of our lives, all of our finances, all of our emotions, all of our romances, all of our families live under his reign and under his rule. And by nature, they don't. We have to obey and heed the command, repent. And so he calls us into repentance. There's a second command. What's he say? He says, believe in the gospel of God. He starts with repentance. And then he says, believe in the gospel of God. Hey, listen, the temptation is to wanna preach the gospel before you repent. So many wanna preach, preach the gospel without repenting. The call is repentance and belief. And so in the gospel of Mark, he commands us to do both. God sends his son, he sends his apostles, he sent his pastors and elders and deacons and preachers and missionaries, and he sends you and me to go and preach forth this message. Repent and believe. Twin commands, twin commands that Jesus has for us. And it explains itself, doesn't it? They, they, they build on one another. They, they explain one another. First, there was repentance. And yet repentance is perfectly consistent with that of faith. They, they, they build, they go with one another. They're connected. Repentance is connected to the next command, which is to believe in the gospel. I thought about trying to explain that to you. I think it'll be easier for me to just illustrate it to you this way. There might be a time in your life, maybe there has been a time in your life when you have felt like your sin is too much, that you've gone too far, 
that there's no way that God can forgive you of what you have done. Let me remind you, that is not true. That is not true. That, that is sinful. You are not too great a sinner for Christ's pardon to be effective. That's not true. We have to understand you see, we have to understand the gospel of God to help lead us into repentance and vice versa. You have to understand the truths of the gospel of God. That, that to assume that you're unworthy of, uh, of grace, to assume that, that you've gone too far, that you've got too much sin, is to devalue what Christ has done. It is to undervalue the merit of the blood of Christ. It is to deny the truthfulness of God's promise. It is to detract from the grace and favor of the gospel of God. You see how it is? It's both. They go together. As you believe the gospel, you're led in repentance. As you repent, you're led in belief of the gospel. They build upon one another. Twin brothers. One is a stripping. One is a clothing. The stripping of repentance, the clothing of faith and belief in the gospel. That's how true Christians live. They repent and they believe. The two lines meet there. They go back and forth with one another. They meet in the person and in the preaching of Christ. And so the repentance is commanded and belief is commanded. And you might ask, well, well, which one comes first? What's the older twin? What's the elder twin? I don't know. That's like asking chicken or the egg. It's, it's mysterious. It's this mystery, a great mystery, how faith and repentance and repentance and faith, and they work together by the power of the Spirit to lead you and I. They share that same DNA. And so just again, Harvest, as, as the temptation is to water down, to, uh, to weaken what repentance is, so the temptation will be to water down, to weaken the gospel of God and the gospel message. But we are here and Christ comes on the scene and he says, no, 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 there is a truth. He came preaching a genuine good news gospel. And you can't believe in the gospel if you're making excuses and making room for your sin. You have to hate it. You have to detest it. You have to flee from it. That's what we're called to do. There's no room here for that. We can't play with our sin, Harvest. We can't commit in private what we condemn in public. We cannot do it. It's dangerous. In marriage, you might be tempted to call an offense just a slight fault. In the boardroom, to... Um, to wink at a departure of uprightness and justice and fairness under the guise of, well, that's just business. That's just how things work in trade. No, no, that's sin. We move forward in the truth of the gospel and the preaching of the gospel. And so we go to God, we ask him to sink us low in repentance. We ask, us to lift, ask him to lift us high in faith and belief in the gospel. Okay, two thoughts. Two final thoughts for you. The call to repent and the call to believe in the gospel. First, it demands your immediate obedience. First, it's going to demand your, it demands your action. You know, my greatest prayer this week has been, Lord, just let us not be passive. Let us not just sit in passivity. Let's not just walk out of here and get in the car and be go on about our lives or say, well, whoa, what'd you think? How'd he do, right? He's, God is calling us to action. He's calling us to repentance, to move further in, 
to sit a little bit more in an uncomfortable spot as we repent and believe in the gospel. You see, your apathy can lead you to procrastination. Your self-confidence can tell you that it's a sham. Your hypocrisy can whisper that's for the other guy, but the call and the command is to repent and believe in the gospel. And it's for everybody. And the time is now. The time is now. Is that not what the text says? Listen, y'all, the gospel's cry is ever and only and always today. The gospel cries today. It must be today. If the gospel's cry is not today, then the gospel tolerates sin. And that would be an unholy gospel. The call to repent is a call for today. It's not a call for tomorrow. If it was a call for, uh, for tomorrow, it would be an unholy call. The call is today to follow after Jesus. And so we don't come, and Jesus didn't come preaching a gospel for tomorrow. He came preaching a gospel for today to throw down our rebellion and chase after him to believe in the gospel. And so I simply come to you and I beg you and I, com I command you as I have been commanded Repent and believe in the gospel. It carries all, that, that command carries all the force that you need. All the force that you need. It's for the youngest believer in the room. It's for the most mature among us. Repent and believe in the gospel of God. See repentance. Uh, Spurgeon would say, see, I think it was Spurgeon. It would say, see repentance as a dear friend, such that if the Lord shall tarry many years from now, at the gate of heaven, you will have to say goodbye to a good friend named repentance. Sinning, believing, repenting, these are things that are with us. And one day, friends, one day, the sinning will stop. And one day, the repenting will find its end. And one day, the believing, our faith will be made sight. One day, in a congregation a thousand, a million times larger than this one, we will assemble around a great white throne and we will be without excuse because we have heard the person and the preaching of Christ and we'll look to our left and by God's grace, we will be there. We will, he will have carried us second. And finally, you say, hey, I, I come to believe in faith. I hear him preaching. I hear him saying the time is fulfilled. I hear him saying the kingdom's at hand. And so I repent. And so I believe in God, or I believe in the gospel of God. What happens now? What happens now? Well, let me tell you something. It feels anticlimactic. Listen, just imagine this. Jesus has come onto scene. Get the picture again. John the Baptist has come looking like a guy who you'd meet at Whole Foods. He's wearing camel hair. He, he, he's eating organic things before it's cool, okay? And he comes and he's saying, there's one that is coming. There's one that is coming. I'm not him, but he's coming. And then Jesus comes and he enters on the scene and he's baptized and, and there's God and he's crowning him. And he's saying, this is my beloved son. And he's got all the authority that he needs. And he goes out into temptation and he's, he, he stays holy and he stays pure. And then he comes and he, he rolls in to preach this message. He says, hey, listen, the time is fulfilled. The, pre, uh, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
What a message. How intense. And you reach right there at the climax and you're saying, what? This is it? This is what's going on? And look, look what happens in the very next verse. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. What? What? That's how he follows that sermon? That's how he follows that message? He comes saying, listen, the time's fulfilled. Repent, turn from your sins. And then he just goes on. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Next verse. And Jesus said to them, follow me. Follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. Seems anticlimactic. No. He's saying, you come. The kingdom's at hand. He moves on. He finds two more mending their nets. He says, you come. You follow me. Four men who fish in order that they might live. Now living in order that they might fish for men and women and children. Where does the gospel leave you? Where does the repenting and the believing in the gospel leaves you? It leaves you following. It leaves you following Jesus in his life. It leaves him following his commands, following and chasing after him. And he's inviting you and he's inviting me into that same relationship of following. And then he does something special. He vests you with all the authority you need to go and do the same. He calls you into discipleship. He commands you, he sends you out, commissions you to multiply disciples throughout every nation and tribe and language and tongue across the whole earth. He says, now it's yours. Repent, believe in the gospel, follow me, make disciples. That's how he leaves it. It's not a fable. It's not fiction. It's not, it's not a dream that I had. It's what Christ said. It's what Christ preached. And so I come to you and I preach only what Christ preached. I charge you only with what Christ has charged you in the name of the beloved son, baptized in the river Jordan in the name of the man who is led by the spirit out into the wilderness for temptation in the name of the man who hung on the cross at Calvary and in the name of the man who three days later walked out of that tomb, I charge you, repent, believe, follow, make disciples. Amen? Amen. Well, hey, listen, every Sunday we have an opportunity to reflect on that message, on the gospel message. We have an opportunity to come to the table and to remember what Christ has done, what Christ spilled, what was broken, the body broken, the blood that was spilled. And so we come to the tables today and we look at these tables as an invitation, an invitation to come, to come, to remember, to reflect, to repent, to believe in the gospel. And if you've never done that, I wanna just say this, I'll be standing right down here. We're gonna have elders underneath the banner that says prayer right there. We'd love to talk to you. 
We'd love to share more about the gospel of God. We'd love to pray with you. And for the rest of us, we, we come to the table and we're grateful for what he's done. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we, um, we look forward. We look forward to the day of your return. We look forward to being with you. We're grateful, grateful for the command, grateful for the person of Christ, the command to repent, grateful for the gospel of God. And we come to you now and we just, uh, we lay it down. We cling to you. Lord, make us a a gospel-driven, disciple-making church. We ask, teach us more to repent and follow after your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Tables are